Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. First of all, if you are new, welcome to the greatest day of your life. We really do believe that this is supposed to be a party and whatever got you here, we don't really care about the motivation. We're just so thankful that you're here. Um, right now, for this moment, we believe it matters that God's got something special for you, that your heart is going to encounter a truth that's going to bring transformation, maybe not just to your life, but maybe to also the people in your life, people around you. I think we all need a breakthrough, right? I mean, I don't know of anybody that has everything going in the right way in their life all the time, right? There's something that always needs to get a little bit better, something needs to shift, right? We're all in need of some sort of breakthrough, and so I'm believing Uh, that we each get what we need. Amen? You guys with me on that? It's going to be an amazing, amazing day. We are in week two of a series that we're we're calling How's Your Soul? Um, It's kind of a mini-series because although this is week two, this is also the last week. So the the mini-series is called How's Your Soul? And uh, have no fear because... Our very own Pastor Chris is going to be launching into his first ever series here at Antioch starting next week. He kind of gave me an overview of it. Yeah, be excited about it. He kind of gave me an overview of it, and um, I'll tell you, it's a timely word for us as a community, and I think it's going to be significant for so many of us. So invite your friends, tell your mom, be here if you can. If not, listen to the podcast. All right, you guys ready for week two? How's your soul? 3 John 1, starting in verse 2, has kind of been our anchor passage uh, for this mini-series. And it says this, Beloved friend, I pray that you're prospering in every way and that you're continually enjoying good health just as your soul is prospering. I'm going to read that one more time. Beloved friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and that you're continually enjoying Good health just as your soul is prospering. How's your soul? Are you prospering in every way? You feel like your heart is winning? Or are there some areas that feel a little dead? And last week what we talked about was the power of coming in those dead places in our hearts and letting the roha of God, the breath of God, to breathe over those places and allow life to come from where there was death. That there's nothing that is too dead for the breath of God to bring to life. Amen? And we talked about how a healthy heart is a prospering heart. A healthy soul is a prospering soul. Healthy things prosper. Sick things die. So, so we, we're saying if we want to have a healthy soul, if we want our soul to be prospering, then we need to be healed from sin's effect on our soul. Sin separates us from God. We define sin simply as being where we miss the mark. God has set a standard He is righteous and holy, pure and perfect, and he has called us to a relationship with him. And the things that are outside of his perfect plan for our lives, the things that are separate from the 
perfect righteousness of God, they miss the mark. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we all need something to close the gap. And that's what the cross that we just sang about has done. Jesus died on the cross so that that gap can be closed, that we can enter the throne room of grace with confidence because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and we can be forgiven of our sin. But here's what's beautiful about the life of Jesus is is that not only does the cross make a way for us to experience the forgiveness of our sin, it also holds the power to heal us of the residue of sin. And that's how it, come on somebody. So that's why when we say, how's your soul? What we're asking is, is has your soul been healed from the residue of sin? Not just the sins that maybe you have committed, that that we all have committed, but also the effect of the sins that have been committed against you. Sometimes you get marked with things. People that are living out of their sinful nature will declare things over your life that has a, a residue effect on your soul. And so all of a sudden you are limping through life because of something that was declared over you when you were five years old. And so we find ourselves saved, sanctified, Jesus is alive to us, but with a limping soul because of the residue of sin that was done to you. How's your soul? We all need to be healed. We all need to be restored. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus tells us, come all who are weary and find rest, and I will what? Restore your soul. So in our journey of saying, God, not just will you forgive me of my sin and will you heal me of the residue of the sin that I have committed against you and that it's affected my physical body, it's affected my heart, and the sins that have been committed against me have affected my soul. There's residue on my soul. We're saying, you know what, our solution is just to come to Jesus until the past residue is no longer an issue. And we just keep coming. We, we keep coming over and over and over again and allow that breath of God to breathe over us and to restore us, to heal us, and to allow life to begin to spring forth where there was death. How's your soul? How's your soul? And, and this, this Sunday, what I want to talk about is something that also has an effect on our souls. It's something that can mark us, shape us, put residue over us, and that is the effect of disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed? Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart Sick. Have you felt the heart sickness of disappointment? Have you felt the heart sickness of discouragement? When, when things don't quite line up how you thought they were got, going to line up, have, have you felt how it just kind of can squeeze the life out of you? It can rob you of your joy? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, every summer we try to take a trip and 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 sometimes they're simple you know you're not always in a space in life where you can 
go all out on a vacation. But how many of you know that something is better than nothing? And my wife is amazing at creating wonderful adventures out of nothing. And seriously, she's amazing at creating experiences where you're like, I mean, there's no way I would have ever come up with this, but I'm so glad we're here. And she's, she's gifted at it. It's, it's, I've seen more of the world, done more crazy stuff because of her ability to create adventure um, than I ever thought that I would experience in life. And so she comes to me in pure Liz form a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, I've got an idea. We don't really have a ton of money to do a vacation. We've got some cool things planned in July, but the month of June, we don't really have anything going on. So what if we take the kids to West Monroe, Louisiana? Now, what you, what you might not know is that in West Monroe, Louisiana, is the home of Duck Dynasty. Now, how many of you have ever seen that TV show, Duck Dynasty? Okay, a few of us. So here's the thing. To, to, to say that our family is a fan of Duck Dynasty would be like an understatement. Okay, we're, we're like super fans of Duck Dynasty, to the point where my kids might know more about West Monroe than people that live in West Monroe. I mean, they love it. We watch it almost daily, right? We have favorite episodes. We laugh our heads off together. And it's been something that has just been a, a key part of our family's world for the past couple of years. And, and so Liz says, why don't we surprise the kids, pack up, and go to West Monroe, Louisiana, and just drink up everything the Duck Dynasty has to offer. And I'm like, hey, babe, I trust you when it comes to adventure, so let's just go for it. So we load up the car. We do it. We tell the kids we're going to West Monroe, Louisiana. You would have thought we told them we, they were going to Disney World. They were fired up. I mean, like so fired up to the point that Sophie, our oldest, was telling somebody, hearing about where someone else was going on their vacation. They're going to like Destin, Florida. And she's like, mom, tell them where we're going. <laughs> and Liz is like, okay. well, why don't you tell them? <laughs> And Sophie is like, we are going to West Monroe, Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, they were so excited, man. We, had, we, we were just going to be like driving around, trying to see stuff that we recognized. We were going to stock their houses. We had like Googled their addresses. We were going to have a great time. And so we load up, and the first thing that we're going to do, when we arrived there, our first mission was to go to Willie's Duck Diner. This is one of the restaurants that just, like, consumes so many of the episodes, right? And, and I'll tell you one thing. If there was someone who was more excited than anyone to go to Willie's Duck Diner, it was my son, Tate Griffin. Tate was so pumped to go to Willie's Duck Diner because they had recreated a sandwich that was basically a souped-up version of a bologna sandwich that had been fried called the Boss Hog. And you, Tate had his order nailed before we even left Austin, Texas. He told us multiple times on the car ride all the way from Austin to West Monroe, Louisiana, I cannot wait to order a boss hog. Dad, it's going to be amazing. I mean, there was a whole episode on its inception. Tate could visualize it. He saw it. He could not wait to taste it. Now, we arrive at Willie's Duck Diner, and we stand in the front waiting to be seated for five minutes, and no one even looks at us, and I begin to realize this experience might be different than TV. 
But hey, my kids are fired up. There's all this Duck Commander stuff all over the walls. They're so excited to be there. They finally notice us. They take us to this random back table. We sit in like what feels like a dark corner. No one comes to take our order for forever. Then someone comes over and says, oh, hi, would y'all like some water? I'm like, yeah. I'm starting to get a little frustrated, right? You know, you know Austin ruins you to enjoy food anywhere else in the world. Like, we have the greatest food culture, man. Restaurants here are amazing. And, and so, like, we're, we're just having a horrible experience. The first 15 minutes are, like, could not go worse. You know, I mean, it's like no one's talking to us. It's awkward. There's no, you know, it's just weird. The whole thing is just weird. So finally they come. They take our order. It doesn't even take long, right? The kids had rehearsed this. And so Tate's like, I want the boss hog. Didn't even look at the menus. Like, I want the boss hog. And so they bring our food out. Of course, they get the order totally wrong. They have to take it back. Then they bring it again, and the, order, the food's cold. They take it back. So we've been there for like 47 hours. We still haven't eaten. Kids are starting to eat each other. You know, it's just like Lord of the Flies. And so I'm, I'm literally going crazy. They finally get the food right. They finally bring it out. They finally are like bringing us our food. And the sandwich is nothing like it was on TV. The boss hog is not the boss hog. It's some weird processed hoagie. Not a fried bologna sandwich. And my son Tate looks at this sandwich and just these huge crocodile tears start coming down his face. And he looks at me, he's like, Dad, this is not the boss hog. And I was like, I know, dude, this whole day has just been a weird day. <laughs> and he's like, Dad, this is it. This is not it. And I'm like, I know, dude. He's like, I want the real one. I'm like, I think this is like what it is now. <laughs> so we finally leave. The kids actually had a great time. Liz and I were just pulling our hair out, which was easy for me. Have no fear. Man, the trip got so much better. We had a, so much fun. The food got better. It ended with a swamp boat ride that would just wash away any bad memories of that trip. I mean, it was so fun just cruising through the swamp in this big boat. It was a blast. And we had a great time. July 4th, Tate and I are running an errand together. And out of the blue, Tate says, you know, Dad, I was really disappointed in, Will, in Willie's Duck Diner. And I was like, you know, dude, I was too. He's like, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm like, you know what, buddy? Yeah, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be, was it? Isn't it funny how the disappointment is what we often remember? It, it disappointment, it kind of lingers. It, it kind of shapes how everything is viewed. You can have one disappointing thing happen in the line of a, a, a 20 things that went amazing. And what do you think about? What do you dwell on? What, what seems to consume our minds? What didn't go right? Disappointment has a way of hanging around, shaping how we view things, how we, how we remember memories. Disappointment it, it affects us. It's like an infection, right? I mean, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And what's crazy is that like disappointment and discouragement 
can be as hard to get out of our hearts, out of our souls, as it is to get an infection out of our physical bodies. I mean, it infects us in such a way that it will cloud us almost like a fog bank over our hearts. And it doesn't matter what you find yourself doing unrelated. The disappointment and discouragement of circumstances that might have been years ago will block your ability to see today. Because disappointment and discouragement, they're a heart sickness. It, it affects us. It affects what we can See, and I want to look at Matthew 11 because there's, there's, a, there's a story that really paints this complex picture of how to navigate through the discouragement waters of our soul. Because none of us are immune to the heart sickness of disappointment and discouragement. We've all encountered it. It shapes all of us. So if it's a sickness, then what's the cure? I think Matthew 11 holds a picture of where we need to go when we find ourselves having a Willie's Duck Diner moment. And I know that that silly story about a sandwich that ended up not being what we thought it was going to be is nothing compared to some of the disappointment and discouragement that many of you are carrying this morning. And I think there's hope for us to learn how to navigate through the discouraging complex waters of disappointment. Let's read here in Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is coming, or should we expect someone else? This John here in Matthew 11 is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, if you guys were here for our Can You Believe We Get to Do This series, we looked at Isaiah 40, and Isaiah 40 says that there will be a voice declaring in the wilderness and making a way for the Lord. There was going to be someone who was going to come before Jesus and prepare the way. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the Isaiah 40 promise. He was the voice that was preparing the way for the Lord. And thousands of people would come to the desert to see this dude with dreadlocks that ate, you know, locusts and honey and wore like camel fur skirts. And they would listen to his sermons and they would repent of their sin and be baptized as their hearts were experiencing the importance of preparation as Jesus was coming. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. And Jesus actually had an encounter with John the Baptist in Matthew 3. Jesus himself went to John the Baptist to be baptized. It says this in Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you, need to, you came to me. And Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well Please, can you see that in Matthew 3, John the Baptist had no question about who Jesus was? He knew who Jesus was. That's why he said, why in the world are you asking me to baptize you? You need to baptize me. 
And before heaven even opened, he had an understanding in his heart that Jesus was the Son of God. And then the icing on the cake was the 100% clarity was heaven opening and, and the Father in heaven declaring over Jesus for all to hear, this is my Son. This is the one. And I'm pleased with him. So why in the world, if John knew that Jesus was Jesus, the Messiah, the coming one, then heard heaven declare over Jesus that he was the Messiah, the coming one, why in Matthew 11 would he send his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who's coming? Like, why in the world would all of a sudden John begin to question what was so clear in Matthew 3 to the point that he was like, look, dude, I'm going to agree to baptize you only because you're telling me I need to do it. But the truth is, is that I know who you are. You need to baptize me. And then heaven declares over him, this is the Messiah. This is my son. And I'm pleased with him. So why in the world with that amount of clarity, with that personal experience with that overwhelming encounter that I'm sure he told so many people about and relived over and over and over. Why in Matthew 11 did he send his disciples to go find out if Jesus really was the Messiah? It's simple. Discouragement. In Matthew 11, where's John? He's in prison. He'd been locked up for preparing the way. Not only that, he was waiting to be executed. Do you think that John the Baptist, when he's preaching to thousands about the coming Messiah, then has an encounter with Jesus, foresaw the end of the story being him being in prison, waiting to be killed? No, his heart was discouraged. He, he was disappointed the circumstances, the pressure of where he was in that moment was clouding what once was crystal clear. I mean, that's what discouragement does to our soul. It's like a fog bank that falls on us and, and really just takes away our ability to see what used to be crystal clear. It, it hovers over us and it begins to distort what we can see. And that discouragement will begin to shape your decision making. Have you felt this? Right? I mean, have you ever, like, walked out on a job after you got a promotion? Have you ever given up on your career after you got a raise? You ever quit a game when you're up by 50? No. We don't stop, quit, give up, throw in the towel when things are going great. We stop quit and throw in the towel when things aren't going great. When discouragement begins to cloud our ability to see, we're like, I want to give up on that. I, I don't want to do that anymore, right? It's the fog bank of discouragement over a soul that's been affected by things not going the way that we thought they were going to go. You know, there's this crazy story of this distant swimmer named Florence Chadwick and she had a goal to swim across a channel that's called the Catalina Channel off the California coast. This happened actually in 1952, and she was a famous swimmer. Everyone thought she could do it, but no one had been able to complete it. So she's like, you know what, I'm going to do it on July 4th. I'm going to swim this thing. It's 21 miles, 
And so she set it out. She got a crew. She got some boats that were going to follow behind her. And the weather was horrible on July 4th. And so their hope was that the fog would lift, but the fog was so intense that she couldn't even see the support boats, the boats that were, like, going to be helping her navigate through these waters. She couldn't even see them because the fog was so thick. On top of that, the sharks were swarming her like crazy. And so as she's swimming, she's hearing rifle shots from the boat to keep the sharks at bay. I'm scared right now. I'm dry. So she's swimming 21 miles. She's 15 hours in. 15 hours in, freezing water, sharks swimming around her. She's 15 hours in, and she looks up at the rescue boat, and she's like, get me out of the water. And her mom was in the boat, and her mom said, no, keep going. You're almost there. Just keep swimming. And so she swam for another 55 minutes. And at 15 hours and 55 minutes, she says, I've had enough. She reaches out. She grabs the side of the boat. And at that point, it was over. She gets in the boat only to realize she was minutes from finishing. She was right there. But the fog kept her from being able to see the shoreline. And in an interview after this had happened, she was asked, why did you stop? She said, I felt like I was going nowhere because the fog was blocking my ability to see the shore. And doesn't that just sound exactly like what discouragement feels like in your soul? It just feels like you're going nowhere. And when you feel like you're going nowhere, it's easy to just want to quit, to just throw in the towel. Maybe I don't need to believe for my marriage. Maybe I don't need to believe for my coworkers. Maybe I don't need to believe that revival is going to hit this city. Maybe I don't need to believe that God has something more for my life than just walking through Monday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday. Maybe I just need to grab the boat, call it quits, and say, I've had enough because the fog is keeping us from seeing the goal. The good news is, is two months later, she swam it again, and she finished it actually in like 13 hours and 42 minutes. Here's what's interesting. The day was equally as foggy, but she wasn't distracted by the fog. She wasn't distracted by the fog. You can be going through a foggy season and not be distracted. Come on, somebody. You can be finding yourself in a circumstance, in a situation that beats you two months before and have something in you that's going to allow you to emerge victorious. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is asked by these disciples, are you the Messiah? He didn't just simply say, yes. This is how Jesus responded. He said, go back and report to John. I want you to go tell him what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Why didn't Jesus just say yes? Because he knew that John knew who he was. He knew that the question really wasn't, are you the Messiah? He heard that John's heart was just in a fog. And Jesus was saying, you know what's going to wake it up, John's heart? You know what's going to pull him out of the fog? It's faith. He needs an infusion of the fog-lifting hope 
of knowing that Jesus is on the move. Do you know when you experience the fog-lifting hope of a testimony of what God's doing? It gives you clarity when you're in the same situation two months later to say, you know what? Maybe the shore actually is right there. And so what took you off your game two months ago all of a sudden is just a speed bump on your way to your goal, on the way to your vision, on the way to your breakthrough because you have the fog-lifting power of Hope, the testimony of what God is doing. He says, look, go tell John miracles are happening. Go tell him and let his heart breathe in that the gospel is being spread, that dead people are coming to life, that blind eyes are opening, that deaf ears are beginning to hear. That's what you need to tell him. And when you tell him that, that's going to lift the fog on his soul, and he's going to know that I am the Messiah because the testimony of what God is doing, the testimony of how God is moving, it is the medicine for our souls. It is how our sick soul becomes healthy. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But check out, this is what faith is defined by in Hebrews 11. Faith is defined by confidence in what we hope for. So if faith is defined by confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we can't see, and if hope deferred makes the heart sick, then that means that our sickness, because our hope has been deferred, is really based in a lack of confidence in what we hope for. So if you find yourself overwhelmed by the disappointment and discouragement of the reality of your circumstances, then I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to lift the fog bank of your soul with confidence in what you hope for. He wants to give you confidence in him because Jesus never fails. Do you know what lifts the fog over your soul more than anything is preaching the gospel to yourself? You know, sometimes we get so caught up as believers. If you know Jesus and you call this place home, we get so caught up in believing God for to do something in us, through us, on us, in us, that we forget what Jesus has done for us. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? We sometimes forget that Jesus did something for us that erases all that we've done against ourselves. That stands in the gap in the pain of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So you might feel like John. I didn't think the story would end like this. I, I didn't think that this is where I would find myself right now. I, this, when, when I was envisioning how the end of my story was going to be written, I didn't see myself in prison. And the one that I made a way for, doing all these amazing things that I can't even experience. And you need to receive what Jesus gave John. And that is the beautiful, powerful picture of hope that Jesus is moving because knowing that Jesus is moving reminds you that you're moving come on knowing that Jesus is moving reminds you that you're moving can I read something over you that maybe you've heard a million times and I want you to hear it and I want you to hear it from the place of allowing it to lift the fog of discouragement over your soul to lift the fog of disappointment. To, to lift the haze of the complexity of things that didn't go how we thought they were going to go. 
circumstances that we don't understand why they went down the way they went down. Not knowing why you got left. Not understanding why you got fired. Not knowing why you believed God for something that didn't happen. Not knowing why you prayed and believed the breakthrough would happen in your life and you still feel stuck. I want to read something over you that's going to lift the fog bank of discouragement over your soul. And it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to read that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God was so in love with you. He was so proud of you. You were so important to him that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, to close the gap so that we might experience his unending love for us forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus never fails. Come on, can I declare that over some hearts that feel a little complex? Jesus never fails. I'm speaking to the fog in your soul. Jesus never fails. I'm speaking to the discouragement that's been lying to you. Jesus never fails. Disappointment will not rob your ability to finish because Jesus never fails. You're not going to stop short of the finish line because of what happened to you because Jesus never fails. He's been with you. He's going to be with you and he's going to give you what you need. I need you to stand to your feet. I need you to breathe in the fresh breath of the Spirit of God, that roha of God that brings transformation. Come on, he's our living hope. Let's sing it out.